Thanks for joining us today. Pastor Allen presented this message on September 22nd, 2019. This is the third installment of our fall series, This Is My Story. Today, we'll be looking at the life of Paul and his conversion on the road to Damascus. Thanks for listening. We just love it when people tell their stories of what Jesus Christ has done because it brings glory to God. And in case you don't remember this, it's the reason why we were created. We were created to bring glory to God so that people will praise our Father in heaven. When I hear that, my heart just rejoices at God's faithfulness and his kindness. Today marks the third of four messages in this series called My Story. And one of the reasons why we wanted to do this series is because we want to encourage everybody to get accustomed to sharing, sharing what Jesus has done for you. And in case you don't know, it's not just the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. It's It's all of our responsibility. In fact, if you call yourself a Christian today, then you need to understand that this is what God wants you to do. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, there are what we call commission or great commission passages of Scripture. These great commission passengers, passages of Scripture tell us that we need to go into the world and tell people about Jesus. You can look that up yourself, but you will see it. This is clearly the will of God. In fact, we see it in the Old Testament as well. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you will see uh, Isaiah tell us repeatedly that we are to be a light to the nations. So this really is what it means to be called uh, a son or a daughter of God. The people of God are the light uh, of the world. They're light to the world. Very important that you get that. Now, the Lord will go to great lengths to draw people to himself. Did you know that? This is why he came to this earth. Look at this. It's a wonderful uh, little um, snapshot of the gospel. It's a great snapshot of what it is that Christ has, has called us to be and called us to do, to partner with him in making sure people know who Jesus is. So if you want to know what the gospel is, Jesus Christ is the God who comes to the earth. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He's the God who has come to seek and to save. And he is the God who's come to die on the cross to take away our sin. Ravi Zacharias, some of you may have heard his name. He's a great apologist of of the church. And he says that there are very few mainline churches now that actually preach the gospel. When you go to uh, so many churches nowadays, what you're going to get is something like a pop psychology lecture. But what, what you and I need to understand is that our greatest need is salvation. Our greatest need is to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a, in a day and an age when the church has forgotten that this is our first priority. We have engaged in what we call a social gospel. A social gospel has good intentions, it looks good, it's it's noble, and what they do basically is they say, we need to build churches, or we need to build schools, we need to build hospitals, we need to educate people, we need to feed people, Uh, we need to go around the world making the world a better place. 
Now, as wonderful as that sounds, I'm going to tell you, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus called us to do. You're saying, Pastor Alan, are you saying that these are bad things? No, I'm not saying it's bad at all. But I'm going to tell you that the most important thing of all is that people understand that they are morally and spiritually bankrupt, that they need to be saved. This, my friends, is why God has sent us a Savior, because we need to be saved. What is the point of feeding people, filling their bellies, clothing them, giving them something to drink, making them happy, and preparing them to go to hell in a comfortable state? Now, that sounds like an extreme thing to say, and you're wondering, Pastor Alan, I can't believe you said that. Or maybe you brought your friend to church this morning, and you're embarrassed now that I said that. Here's what you need to know. Humanity's greatest need is salvation. Because when you and I are set free, that is when we come out of our poverty and come into the abundance that is ours through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, richly, a satisfying life. This is our greatest need. And here's what we know. If you do the research, you'll find that wherever the gospel has proliferated, wherever the gospel has done its job and people are saved, automatically what happens is we begin to see a new level of prosperity that was not seen before. We need to understand that in surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ and doing what Jesus Christ tells us to do, that is when things begin to change. This is when our life begins to improve. This is when our marriage begins to improve. This is when our relationships with our kids begins to improve. But it's going to come only when you and I learn to surrender to Jesus Christ and to obey him. Now, we talked the last two weeks about various people who were converted We told the story of Simon the sorcerer, and we told you the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. If you haven't heard these messages, you can go online and listen to them at our website, or you can read about it yourself in Acts chapter 8. Simon the sorcerer was a man who, who heard the gospel, and he saw the miracles, and he said, this is what I want. Now, Simon the sorcerer was a great magician. He was able to do uh, amazing things. But when he saw Philip, the evangelist, doing the great things that he was doing, he knew that Philip's power was greater than his. And he said, I want to be part of this. And so the next thing you know, the Bible says he believed and he was baptized. And it said he went to all the church meetings. He didn't miss any of the revival meetings. Long story short, Simon the sorcerer was not converted. His life was not transformed. He liked the idea of the message of Jesus Christ, but he was not converted. He did not have a saving faith. He had what we would call, ready for this, a demonic faith. What on earth is that? Well, James describes it like this. He says, you say you believe in God? Great, or big deal. Even the demons believe in God, and they tremble. So his faith was not a saving faith. And then we get to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he, in fact, had a saving faith. 
He put his trust in God. And the Bible says that after he was baptized, because he wanted to be baptized on the spot, Philip didn't ask him if he wanted to be baptized. He asked Philip if he could be baptized. Is there, there's, there's some water. Is there any reason why we can't be baptized? And Philip said, let's do it. And the Bible says that as soon as he came up out of the water, he went away rejoicing. His heart was transformed. Now, here's what I want everybody to understand today. Not everybody who goes to church is converted. And I want you, I'm not saying this to judge or condemn anybody, because that's not who we are. That's not what God does. That's not what the church does. There may be some churches that do that, but we don't do that. What we want you to do this morning is we want you to be aware of what's going on in your heart. Are you sure you are converted? Are you sure that you have a, a saving faith? You say, Pastor Allen, I'm not entirely sure what that means. Well, let me put it like this. If you have saving faith, you will be in the process of transformation. You will be changing. You will not be the same person today that you were yesterday or a month ago or a year ago. This is what saving faith does. It allows the Spirit of God to transform us. Now, this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about Saul. Now, those of you who know your Bible, you know that Saul later on becomes the Apostle Paul. Saul was an angry man, zealous for God, he, he, he says, but he was angry. He was angry at the numbers of Jewish people who were becoming Christians. And so what he did is he began a persecution, and he began attacking people who belonged to the way. Now, in case you don't know what the way is, that was the name for Christianity in the early days. It was called the way. And why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so there's the Apostle Paul. He is, uh, before he's the Apostle Paul, he's, the, he's a wicked murderer by the name of Saul. He is murdering people in Jerusalem, and he's traveling throughout Judea, Samaria, and now he's on his, on his way to Damascus. And the Bible tells us that he's going there to drag Christians back to Jerusalem. That's Jewish people who have converted to Christianity. He is going to Damascus, and he's going to put them in chains and drag them back to Jerusalem. And he's doing all this, are you ready for this? With the authority and the stamp of approval from none other than the priests of Jerusalem. So the Christian church is terrified. They are so, so terrified that they are going to be next. But God has got another plan. And this blows you away, because if it were me, I don't know if I would do it this way. God looks down at Saul, and he thinks, hmm, now I could use him. Now I'm wondering if the angels are looking, God's like, what, what are you saying? That's not the guy to use. He's killing Christians. You can't use him. How many know you can't tell God what to do? How many know that God knows best? And so what happens is, is Saul is on his way to Damascus, and on his way, suddenly there's a blinding light from heaven. And a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, the, and Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Every time you persecute or hurt or maim one of these little Christians, you are hurting me. And you know the story. 
Saul fell on the ground. He's blind now. He's got a blindness upon him. And God says to him, go to the place I'm going to tell you to go. Go into Damascus and, and wait there. And so that's what he does. Now, I want you to know this morning that the Lord will go to great lengths to bring someone to himself. Did you hear that? And it may mean that you have to go to jail. It may mean that you have to go bankrupt. It may mean that you have to go through some, some real terrible things in your life. Or it might mean that God produces some miracles in your life. But who knows what God's going to do? But I'm going to tell you, he will do something to reveal himself to you, to draw you to himself. And so maybe there's somebody here today. You are here and you thought you were here by accident. You're not here by accident. You're here because God wanted you to hear this message today. God will go to great lengths to draw people to himself. This notion or this idea that I have to go seeking God and that I have decided to follow Jesus, that I have chosen Jesus, Jesus tells us clearly in the Gospel of John, you didn't choose me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you to go and, and be my disciple and go produce fruit that will bring glory to the Father. You didn't decide to follow me. I came to get you, and I came to claim you as my own. If you're a Christian today, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. Did you hear that? And you do what he says because he's got a work for you to do. He's got a plan for you. So there's Saul on the road to Damascus. He's got his own plans, but God has his plans. Man, what I would have done is not, I wouldn't have blinded Saul with a, with a blinding light. I would have just sent a, a, a lightning bolt. Let's finish him off. Hey, don't, don't we pray stupid sometimes and, and, and pray against the will of God? This is why it's so important, people, that you and I learn what it means to flow in the Spirit and understand what God is saying. It's why it's so important for us to not do things our way, but to do it God's way. So he falls on the ground and hears the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the Lord, the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. The Lord will go to great lengths to draw, to bring people to himself. And one of the most dramatic developments in prophecy is seen in what is happening right now in the Middle East and actually around the world amongst Muslims. Many Muslims are seeing dreams and visions of Jesus. I want to share this story with you. Dr. Darren Carlson, and you can look him up later if you like, he tells some of the stories of what's happening right now in the Middle East. I'm going to share a few of these stories. He says, a friend of mine tells of a Persian migrant who arrived at a refugee camp. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. He was very agitated. He was upset, visibly upset. And he told the story to the Persian pastor. He says, during the night, he saw someone dressed in white raise his hand and say, stand up and follow me. The Persian man said, who are you? To this apparition, apparition in his, in his uh 
uh, in, in the early hours of the morning. And the man in the white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. Those were the words of the person in white. So the pastor took out his Bible and he says to, the, to this Muslim man, do you know what this book is? And the Persian man, by the way, do you know what a Persian is? It's someone from Iran. He says, I've never seen that book. I don't know what it is. What's the significance of it? Well, the pastor says, this is the Christian scripture. Muslim scripture is the Quran. This is the Christian scripture. And this man hasn't got a clue. No idea what this book is. Well, the pastor opens the Bible to Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and he reads these words. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who is and who always was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Now, to the Muslim, the Almighty One is Allah. Jesus is declaring, I am God. Now, I'm sure that that Persian pastor at that refugee camp dealing with this immigrant is not sure what to do next. And he lets God do his thing. And the man started crying and he said, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? So the pastor led him in prayer and peace came over him. Then the pastor gave this man a Bible and he said, don't tell anybody about this Bible. Hide it, since the Muslims in the camp could cause you a lot of trouble. But the man replied, the Lord Jesus that I met today, he's more powerful than the Muslims in the camp. He left, and an hour later, he came back with 10 more Muslims. And he told the pastor, these people want a Bible. All of this without an evangelism strategy. Folks, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are touched by God, it's amazing what the Spirit of the living God will do and can do through you. Again, this is why we're doing this series called My Story, because God wants every one of us to be prepared to share with others what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because of the numbers of Muslims who have come to Christ, uh, this movie has been produced in order to help you understand and to see what's going on. It's called More Than Dreams, and you can order this on Amazon or send a check to the ministry for 60 bucks, and I'll send it to you. No, never mind. The, the amazing phenomenon of Jesus appearing to Muslims in dreams. I would highly recommend that you get this if you can. You will be blown away at what God is doing by His Spirit. But can I just remind everybody of something? God wants to do miracles not just in the Middle East. He wants to do it here. And He wants to use you to bring that good news, that that message of Christ's love to a broken and hurting world. Here's what, here's what Peter says in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Yes, even upon the Muslims. 
and every other religious group that you can think of. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I want you to know today that God is still in the business of doing whatever it takes to draw people to himself. You're going to see in a minute how you should respond to this. But let me tell you another story first. There's a family in Kurdistan. Each member in that household all had the same dream one night. And each independent of the other. And they, the next day, when, they, when the family came together for breakfast, they all shared the dream that they had. And they all, lo and behold, had exactly the same dream. And here's what, the, what was said in the dream. They said that they should cross the river the next day to find living water. Not just water, but to find living water. And so the family, not wanting to miss out on this supernatural, they don't know that it's God, they don't know it's Jesus involved in all this, but they didn't want to miss out on, on whatever it is that was going on in the spiritual realm. And so they did exactly what they were told to do in the dream. And on the other side of the river, somebody was waiting there with a Bible for that family. And when they, <laughs> that blow you away, and when that family finally was able to immigrate uh, because of the persecution, the Kurds are terribly persecuted. I don't know if you know that, but they still had their Bible when they arrived in Europe, and each of them was serving the Lord. That's the power of God. The Lord will go to great lengths to draw people to himself. I'm going to tell you this morning, you are not here by accident. You are here because God drew you here. You think, no, I came here on my own. Why would you come here if you're not interested in the things of God, except that the Spirit of God drew you here? In fact, the Bible tells us this is exactly what God does all the time. Let me tell you another story. A Muslim man had gone to Greece, and while he was there, he became a Christian. He's from Iran. And uh, his wife was still back in Iran. And he would call her from the refugee camp nearly every single day to share the gospel with her. And uh, she decided that she would need to get a divorce since she couldn't be married to a Christian and remain a good Muslim. So, she decided that she would open up her Quran and look for all the verses about Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you don't know this, but the Quran speaks very highly of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's nothing disparaging about Jesus Christ. They just don't think he's God, and they don't think he's as good as Muhammad the prophet. But nevertheless, they recognize that Jesus was a great man. Well, she wonders, where can I find out more information about Jesus? Where do you find information about Jesus? Anybody here know? The Bible. She opens the Bible, and she starts looking up the verses about Jesus. And next thing you know, she's read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the next thing that happens, folks, is she, this is what she says, one day reading the Bible, I was in my room alone, and the whole room became white, bright white, and I felt completely clean. And at that moment, she says, through trusting in Jesus, I became a Christian too. 
the Lord will go through to great lengths to draw people to himself. I want this phrase to stick in your heart and in your mind. You need to know that God is at work. And he calls us to join him in that great work. I'm going to tell you another story. I'm the pastor. I can do whatever I want. I'm just joking. I can't. There's a family on a boat with other migrants. They were traveling from Turkey to Athens. Again, people terrorized by their, by their, uh, by their leaders, by their dictators. These were, these were political refugees. And on the way, they lost their seven-year-old daughter in the water. She fell over. And everyone in the crowded boat was looking for her, but couldn't find her. And then suddenly, she appeared on the other side of the boat, saying over and over again, ready for this? A man who walked on the water took me and brought me to the other side of the boats. The parents dismissed it as ridiculous and what, silly, what a silly thing to say. And they scolded her. Upon arriving at the island of Lesbos, they met a Christian who made a fire and offered to talk to them. That day, without knowing what had happened to this family, the pastor asked if they would like to know about a God who walked on the water. And they started to cry. And the man had never, had never used that illustration in evangelism. I can tell you, I've been a pastor since 1983, and I have never used the story of Jesus walking on the water as, as a, a base for or a starting point for an evangelistic message. Never had done that before. But that morning, he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. And uh, they asked him, who are you? To which he replied, I'm a Christian. And then they said, what do you mean walk on the water? And at that point, the pastor or this uh, Christian man, he pulled out his Bible and he read the story of Jesus walking on the water. And then they started crying again. And then they told their story. Our daughter fell off the boat, they exclaimed. We thought she was crazy because she was dry on the other side. We didn't understand it, but she kept saying it was a man who walked on the water that took me to the other side. That family surrendered their lives to Christ. The Lord will go to great lengths to draw people to himself. What does God have to do to get your attention? What do you have to go through? What do you have to suffer? Well, let's get back to Saul here for a moment. Saul, he is blind, and he's waiting now to see what God wants to do. And then we read in verse 10, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. So God is using dreams and visions to speak to people who are unconverted, and now he's speaking to Ananias, who is converted. 
And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street. That's the name of a street. Cool name. Go to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man by the name of Saul from Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. Isn't that amazing? God is talking to, to Ananias and saying, there's a guy that needs you to go over and, and pray for him. In fact, I told him that you'd be coming. What's Ananias going to say? Well, he's praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision of a man by the name of Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Then we read in verse 13, Ananias exclaimed, But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So, God, I don't know if I, don't know if I want to do this. You should really find somebody else. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I want you to see something here. Because like Ananias, we're all ready to say to God, no, 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 I don't want to do this. Don't use me, use somebody, use my wife. But I, 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 I just don't want to do this. We have our excuses, we have our reasons. We're ready to tell the Lord how difficult it is, how impossible it is. God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're dealing with. Saul is that angry, bitter man. He's a murderer. Uh, you need to use somebody else to do the job. God, listen, how many know today that God is not interested in your excuses? God wants to use you. And you need to learn to say, Lord, here am I, use me. Can we say that together? Here am I, use me. Are you willing to do that? Hey, listen, if you've lost your fire and your excitement as a Christian, you've lost your enthusiasm, Christianity is not exciting and not thrilling for you anymore, it's because you have laid down and died. You, you, you've lost your fire because you don't want to be used by God. You don't want to know the joy of being led by the Spirit. We call ourselves a Pentecostal church, and there's lots of them in Canada. But I'm going to tell you this, we, we are not Spirit-led anymore. Let's, pastor, let's, let's do our programs and have our barbecues and come to church and just preach some nice sermons to us. We'll do our fundraiser. We'll, 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 we'll humor you, Pastor. We'll give a few bucks, and, and, but let's just let us go on with our life. I'm not, frankly, I'm not interested in that kind of a life. That's boring and dull. I want to know the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me for God's glory and honor. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ who's filled with the Spirit. By the way, that's one of the evidences that you are, in fact, converted. The Spirit of God is at work in you and through you. Wow. We need to learn what it means to stop making excuses and start obeying our Master. 
He's not just your Savior. He's your Lord, your Master. And you do what He says. We need to start praying, God, hear my, use me. We need to be prepared to take some steps of faith and doing some things that, quite frankly, terrifies us. But I'm going to tell you, it's when you start taking those steps of faith, you begin to learn what it means to live on the edge and know the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. By the way, I'm going to be doing a series on this in November, Living by Faith. I'm so excited about it. You know what? There's an old lady. I was just a young teen. I, was, I, I think I must have been about 14 or 15. Just a, a young Christian. And, and really uh, kind of feeling down. And I, I remember so clearly crying out to God, God, uh, I, just need, I just need a fresh touch from you. I need some sign that, that you haven't forgotten about me. I was on the bus. I was on my way to visit my grandmother, who's not a believer. And every time I would see her, she was constantly putting down the church and Jesus Christ and Pastor Barber. And, and that was my pastor at the time. He's oh, she's always so negative. And I'm just feeling so discouraged. And I, I, I just said, God, I want to go and tell Grandma about Jesus. But I, I just was feeling so upset about it. And uh, I'm sitting on the bus, on the EK bus, going down Henderson Highway. Some of you live over there and know all about it. On the way to the Valhalla Apartments. That's where my grandmother lived. And uh, as, I'm, as I'm on that bus, a little lady is getting on. And just working her way through, not looking at all, anybody. But all of a sudden, it was like she hit a force field. You remember Star Trek? So this little old lady, all of a sudden. And she looks right at me, looks me right in the eye. And she says, I have something for you. And she pulled out of her purse a track. And I sat there absolutely stunned. Because in, in that little piece of paper was, was, a, was some scripture verses but how God loves me and he's not forgotten about me. I thought, man, God sent this little old lady to encourage me to speak to my heart. I remember like it happened yesterday, and I say, God, thank you for sending that old lady along at just the right moment. And then she got off the bus, and I, I actually got off way before my stop, and I ran after her, and I said, why did you do this? Why did you give this to me? And she just looked up into my face. She said, honey, because God told me to. That's the kind of Christianity I want. Where God is using me to be a blessing to the people around me. Because here's what I know. God will go to great lengths to draw people to himself. Huh. Ananias, you got to go. You got to do this. And Ananias, uh, I'm going to I'm going to show uh, show Paul Saul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Just if that makes you feel better, considering what he's done to others, he's going to suffer. Wow. And so there he went on his way. And we read, so Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, did you notice that? It says, Brother Saul. Hey, can I just say something to everybody here today? In our church, if you come 
If you come here and you surrender your life to Christ, I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're a murderer. I don't care what you've done, what your sin may be. You're my brother and you're my sister. That's what this church is about. Some people think, well, I can't go to church. I'm not spiritual enough. There's nobody here that's spiritual enough. But through Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. Brother Saul, murderer Saul, persecutor Saul. No, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me. Here's what you need to know. As much as the angels of heaven are involved in the whole work of evangelism, with these apparitions, apparitions and these dreams and these visions, still God wants to use you and me in the process of leading people to Jesus. In a sense, we are all like midwives who are there at the delivery when that person is born again. Are you willing to say, Lord, hear my, use me? Because this, my friends, is what the New Testament church was all about. This is how they advanced. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me. And here's what you need to say to the people in your life that are looking for God. You need to say, the Lord has sent me. The Lord has sent me. Can you say that with me? The Lord has sent me. You are sent by God. By the word, by the way, the word apostle, do you know where that comes from? It's a, it's a Greek word which means sent, sent ones, emissaries, ambassadors. That's what we are. Sent by God to tell people about Jesus Christ. A missionary identified only as Yazim. He lives and works in a part of the Middle East where uh, not only is it illegal to share the gospel, it's life-threatening to talk about how the gospel is advancing. And he shared the story of a man who lived about 50 kilometers outside of an unnamed Middle Eastern city known for his, its vast opium use. Listen to this. This man said, uh, said when he was visited by Yazim, a man wearing all white knocked at my door every night, and I couldn't look at him because his face was so shiny and bright. When he would come inside, he asked me to write down what he said. As I wrote, I fell asleep, and the next night he would come again for the next full month, every night for a month. Yazim asked the man, what did you write? May I see your notebook? And so this man brought out his notebook that he'd been writing, in. And here's, here's what he wrote. Here's the opening lines. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was, was not anything made that was made. Jesus had come to this man for a full month and got him to write out the full gospel of John. God will do 
amazing things, will go to great lengths to draw people to himself. He had the whole book of John verbatim in his notebook. Jesus, Jesus visited him every night until he finished the book. And the amazing thing is this, and I'll close with this. The man actually asked us, who was this man that visited me? And here's what Yazim, the missionary to the Middle East, said. He said, I learned a valuable lesson. God will do his part, but we still have to do ours. And that's a message for you today. God will do his part in saving your spouse, your children, your friends, your neighbors. But you have to do your part. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Would you stand with me, please? Father, give us the grace, the power, and the wisdom to pray that prayer. Lord, hear my, use me. Father, make us, each and every one of us, your vessels, your servants, who will be used in the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, O oh God, to be found faithful in telling our story of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we thank you today, Lord. You have called us to be your very own. And now we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go share your story.